Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And, of course, they have Junior Bergen T-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. At Blackfoot Communications, we're experts at keeping your business technology up and running from networks and security to communications and 24-7 support. Our team works with you to understand your technology demands, then deploys the right solution for your unique needs. Whether your company is just starting out or is looking to take the next step, Blackfoot is here to help. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com business. Blackfoot, connect to more. Now from the Kurtz Polaris studio, here is Ryan Tutel and Coulter Nuanez. Welcome back to Tell Nuanez, 102.9 ESPN Radio. Running down a dream every single day. Along with you, we appreciate you being here. Thanks for being with us. If you uh, missed anything in the first hour, check it out on the podcast. The Tutel Nuanez podcast is available all the time. Podcast is out there thanks to our friends at Blackfoot Communications. Rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You can go check it out. Uh, right now, the uh, Toronto Raptors, 8.54 left in the third quarter. They have they were down two at half. They're now up five, 59-54 over the Boston Celtics game, two of the Eastern Conference Finals. Keep you updated on that as we go. 361-3688, the phone number. All guests join us via the Rakes Brothers RV phone line. And if you would like to listen live, go to our website, 1029ESPN.com. You check out the stream on the Listen Live tab. The stream is available all the time. Thanks to our friends at Opportunity Bank of Montana. Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. Coulter, we got some basketball to get to, some NFL to get to, but uh, did you uh, want to become more famous than you already are? Tell me how. American Idol is doing auditions across the state of Montana today. Well, uh, the... the I'm trying to think of the right adjective to use. Whatever. The show Yellowstone is doing uh, auditions tomorrow. Mm. I think I have a better chance of being an extra in Yellowstone than I do of being on American Idol. You have a better chance of flying than being on American Idol. I mean, let's, <laughs> come on now. What do you mean? I have a phenomenal singing voice. You could play your, your saxophone. Yeah, yeah. You know, you could do that. Here's the thing. 
I have no idea if I have a great singing voice or not. I would absolutely never sing on uh, stage in front of people. Now, wait a second. Karaoke? Dude. You told a story on this show that you sing, was it Garth Brooks? No, nah, Toby Keith should have been a cowboy. Yeah, that's a, right. That was in a past life. All right. Uh, yeah. So you so you are so you've just lied to us is what you've done. Uh, I said I would never, not that I haven't ever. I mean, okay, if it's forward if it's forward looking, that's fine. I I, I mean they used to I don't even know I get to go there. I promise they used to serve you. a special beverage down at Westside Lanes that would make you karaoke even if it wasn't in your nature. Let's just say that. I, I was gonna say that special beverage they carry everywhere now. And I promise you that you will do karaoke. Again? Yes, guaranteed. How? Because I'm married to a Filipino, and that's what we're going to do. You do you remember last time we went karaoke? Don't you just worry about I, it. I, I, I will never. We will break It makes up. me actually sick to my stomach. I think I would do almost anything. If you told me I had to sit up there and talk in front of 50,000 people for five consecutive hours, I would rather do that than sing in front of anybody. I Listen, the singing in front of an audience is, is not my uh, wheelhouse of comfort. I'm not whatever I'm not, you're phenomenal at it. I'm great at it, but it doesn't mean I like it. I'm great at everything. It's a nice, <laughs> it's a good situation I'm in. Doesn't mean I'm comfortable doing everything. Oh and uh, I'm not going to do American Idol. I honestly, honestly, truly, when this came across, Tommy told me about this. I didn't know American Idol still existed. I mean, it's been I had no idea. They have the voice and the mask singer. The, and the Yellowstone and the thing. Now, we know a couple people that have been in the Yellowstone show. Right. I know. I think there's been a lot of people from around Missoula that have been well, in yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Just as extras or whatever. And that's funny because they won't let anybody try out again. You can't mm. be an extra twice. Mm. But there's some funny uh, descriptions of what they want. It's pretty good. If you were going to be an extra on Yellowstone, what would you be cast as? Well, so they have a whole list of things that no, they want. I'm just saying for you. Like, if, well, what so would your ideal just, be? Just, just listen. Okay. Because they, they make you fill out a whole thing about your height and weight and physical appearance and all that. Mm-hmm. But it's is it's as specific as, you know, male extra waiter can't have facial hair. Male extra... Uh, late sixties must look good in golf attire, but there's only one role in this upcoming extras where you're allowed to have a beard. We want a beard, so that would just be the one that I. That's the only one I could even go for. Now, I've watched probably a, a episode of Yellowstone. See, I haven't. I haven't done it yet. Um, you know, I'm sure for most of the country that's so far removed from what Yellowstone is sort of portraying that it's, you know, it's it's sort of viable. I, I just can't quite get there. And my, yeah. the, the point in case is this very thing. If only one extra in a Montana-based Western has has a beard, your people are too good looking in this show. Stop with that. And also, no, I, it's just not real. It's just not real. Half the people in Montana. I mean, it's clearly not real. I mean, I I understand it's acting. All right. It's pretty funny because to me, it's just the the two things that cast Montanans in a stereotypical and incorrect light. And I think it really robs, particularly from the college towns, but just the perception of Montana in general is the way that the national media portrays the political landscape in Montana and the way that the show portrays Montanans in general. There's so many erroneous little things in this show. But I mean, it's not the case anywhere. Like if you and I were going to do a sketch comedy about Rhode Island and then Rhode Islanders saw it, they would be like, well, who are these morons? And they'd be absolutely right because we wouldn't. I mean, It's, it's a good point, but I just. 
think that I got no idea what a Rhode Island person does. But <laughs> there's there's just a lot. There's a, like Texas, for example. Obviously, Texas has had a much brighter light when it comes to pop culture and the sure. culture of Texas. And it's a it's the biggest state in the country in terms of geographical mass. You know, in, in the lower forty eight. There you go. And, but also, so many people from Texas know the stereotypes and cliches that personify Texans, and they're like, hell yeah. <laughs> Everything is bigger in Texas. Now, maybe that is just your perception, you know? Dude, I've been all over Texas, though, and like the, the everything is bigger in Texas. That was my, the joke I used to have with Eric Peterson, who was the photographer of the Chronicle. We went on a couple different trips to Texas, yeah. and we used to laugh. Because you could literally point at anything no, they, they, and say, everything's bigger in Texas. Look at this excursion. Look at this plate of food I got. Look yeah, at anything. Yeah. I mean, like the meal we had after the national championship game in, in Frisco, Texas, two right. years ago when NDSU beat Eastern Washington and, and Skyline Sports Little Enterprise went down there. Yeah. I mean, I've never seen so much food. I ate myself sick. I will say, I, the time I spent in Texas, the costume that some of the, the fellows would wear, which was the cowboy boots, the relatively tight pants, and then the untucked long sleeve button-up shirt with a cowboy hat, like, that is a standard, like, this is, like, right down the middle of what a, a, a certain segment of the male population are wearing, and that was a, that was a little confusing to me. I think, I think that the point I'm trying to make about the misperception of Montana is that the way that the na- the nation perceives Montana is a place that is uh, filled with people that cultivate personal freedoms. That's accurate. Uh, filled with people that are tough and hardy. That's also accurate. But Montana is a place that's filled with discourse more than almost anywhere because of the mystique of it. It attracts writers and intellectuals. I mean, a place like Livingston, Montana, some of the great writers in American history yep, have lived fair. in Livingston because of the aesthetics, because of the, the energy of the place, the vortex that exists there. And it's very similar in Missoula and Bozeman, but even up through the crown of the continent, the energy of Montana is distinctly different than almost anywhere. And so it attracts people that maybe don't fit the mold of the hard-nosed cowboy that Yellowstone is trying to perpetuate. I think we've analyzed this well. I feel good about <laughs> Great this. Great segment. You want to talk about some football? I, I, I would love to. Who's the three best teams and three worst teams in the NFL this year? I, I'm ready. So we're just we're just naming them off. We're going one, or are we going back and Here, forth, or we just want you just want me to let it I'm, rip? Or? I'm gonna. I'll do it. But here's the thing. <laughs> um, Can I give my my yearly take that I always give? Sure. It's my perception that in a salary cap league that there's usually two or three and maybe as many as five teams that are better than everybody else. Just on paper right now, no one's played a game. No one's gotten hurt. No drama. You know, there's three to five teams that are better than everybody else. Yeah. There's usually one to four teams that are significantly worse than everybody else. And then everybody in the middle it's splice and hairs determining who's actually better. And then it comes down to three things. Coach and quarterback continuity, quarterback talent, and injuries. I, I really think that most teams start at 8-8. Eight and eight, And if you got Aaron Rodgers, you basically start at 9-7. and seven. And if you got Drew Brees, you start at 9-7. and seven. Sometimes those teams are among the top teams. Yeah. But I just think that most teams in terms of right now, talent-wise... They're not that far apart. So I actually think that analyzing the three best and the three worst is interesting because I usually think that they're pretty darn defined. I agree with you. And that's why, and I think that's why this is a better conversation than even picking, you know, the best team in any given division. As I said today, we were on Sean Rainey's podcast. Mm -hmm. I think all four teams 
in the NFC West mm-hmm. are among the top eight teams in the entire NFC. Okay. Now they might they're they're almost certainly not going to end up that way. Like the worst team in the NFC West by record mm-hmm. will not be in the top eight teams in the NFC, mm-hmm. but that's because they're playing these other great teams in their own division. Right. But I'm just saying from a from a talent skill and what I expect out of them standpoint, first of all, I think the NFC West is going to have the most success in non-divisional games of any conference. You know, they analyze what team did, what conference, or excuse me, which division was the best against, you know, non-divisional opponents. I think the NFC West will be that this season on the whole. But I think that, I think that Seattle and San Francisco are probably the two best teams in that division. I think Arizona and and the LA Rams are the two worst teams in that mm-hmm. division. I think a lot of people got Arizona as an up and comer, but probably the fourth of four. And I probably agree with that. But I think that Arizona is better than three or four teams in several, you know, in a couple of the other divisions in the NFC. That said. The four best teams in the NFL to me are, in not any order, uh, Kansas City, still, Baltimore, and New Orleans. The one team that I would like to put in my top three that I I can't in terms of how, how good they are is probably San Francisco. I was going to steal the words right here. Yeah, I, I think San Francisco is a great team, and they deserve to be absolutely in this conversation. Obviously, they were in the Super Bowl a year ago. Going to the Super Bowl, you have to be a very, very good team to do it. There's also a bunch of very good teams where it just doesn't go your way. The Saints. The Saints didn't make a stop when they needed to make a stop against the Minnesota Vikings. They were better. They were better. They would have had a better chance yep. for the next round of the playoffs. Yep, and it didn't happen, and so they didn't They didn't go, and that was it. So the uh, And Baltimore, same thing. They they win 14 games in a row. No, they went they, – yeah, that's right. They won 12 games in a row. They were 2-2, two and two, won 12 games in a row to go 14-2, and two, and then they they got overrun by a hot Tennessee team in the first round of the playoffs. Hugely disappointing. I think they're a great team all the way around, not just Lamar Jackson. So I, I will put them up against San Francisco, and especially the, one reason is definitively Kansas City, Baltimore, New Orleans all have absolutely top-shelf 1A quarterbacks, and San Francisco absolutely does not. So that is a significant point of separation, much as I love the San Francisco defense, which I do. So that's why I have those as my top three. And we could talk about several other teams. I mean, I think Seattle fans think they're pretty good. I think the Packer fans, I'm one of them, think their team's pretty good. Uh, You know, that's that's all well and good. Maybe Pittsburgh on the come up. I know a bunch of Dallas fans are pumped up about their team. But in terms of top three in the league, elite like that, I'm not ready to put any of those teams in that tier, in that conversation. San Francisco, I would. That's exactly my top four teams right there. These same four? These same four. Okay, but who's your top three, though? That's why we cut them off. You got to cut somebody out. I I would pick Kansas City, San Francisco, and New Orleans. I have a hard time doing that. The only reason I do is because I think that the 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 style that Kyle Shanahan coaches with, the attitude that they want that team to be about, how the team is built, it seems like a team that's set up to rebound from a loss more than crumble after mm. the loss. But the Rams were such a Hollywood team when they made it to the Super Bowl, and they took all these risks on all these veteran guys and paid all these contracts and made all these trades. And they just had to get rid of some personnel, but then also the disease of Moore starts to bubble over. How does Jared Goff stay healthy or, or stay hot? Excuse me. How does Todd Gurley stay healthy? 
how do we get the same production out of our offensive line? You know, Akib Talib is a, a year older on down the line. And, and I think the Niners, you know, they lose DeForest Buckner. They replace him with Javon Kinlaw in the draft. I thought that was one of the steals of the first round of the draft. They add uh, Brandon, tell me his last name, from Arizona State. Brandon Azuke, receiver from Arizona State. Mm, I thought he was yes. another really good player. They got him late in the first round. That's a good compliment to what they already have as far as offensive weapons. They lose Matt Breida, but they welcome Jarek McKinnon back. They lose Joe Staley. He retires. They replace him with a Hall of Famer in Trent Williams. So every guy that left they plugged in someone of comparable abilities. I agree with your take on Jimmy Garoppolo, but I also just think it doesn't matter. They run the ball with more authority than anybody in the NFL. And the only reason I pick, so I, I got KC as number one. I got New Orleans as number two. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would probably, if I was going to really power rank it right now in terms of my expectations for this very season, i probably go New Orleans 1. Okay, New Orleans 1 and then KC 2? Yeah. Okay, so we agree on our top two, though. Yeah. And I think we both agree that Baltimore and San Francisco are, are 3A and 3B. Yeah. You just think the Ravens, I think the Niners. The only reason I pick the Niners over the Ravens is I think that there's a margin for error for every team. But I think that the margin for error for the Ravens is way more stark. Jimmy Garoppolo messing the whole thing up is way less likely than something catastrophic happening to Lamar Jackson. I, I understand that, and I, I, I agree with you. But I also, like, if I if I was going to say, what do I expect to happen taking into account something like the likelihood of injuries, sure. I wouldn't put Baltimore in the top three for that very reason because, so I mean, everything that they do offensively, and not everything, but a lot of what they do offensively hinges, obviously, on, on Lamar Jackson. And it feels like he is at a little greater risk than a lot of players for for injury because of the the you know the amount that he runs. So that's fine. But also, I'm just going to sit here and assume the best. I'm going to assume that everybody's sure. available that needs to be available and if he is and what they've got, I think they are I think they are ready to roll and I might have them. I mean, I'd have a t- hard time keeping them out of the, the the top 2 potentially as well. I can't yet. They haven't won a playoff game, so I'm not going to get there with them on that. Uh, that's that is the one though and only knock that I can find against the Baltimore Ravens right now. Well, they did make some really good free agent acquisitions as well. I mean, Calais Campbell's a huge addition. He's perfect for their culture. We'll see how much juice he has less than less than the tank, but he's yeah. such a good locker room guy, such a good leader. Derek Wolf's a great addition. I mean, he fits perfectly as well. They drafted Patrick Queen out of LSU. He's an awesome player. So I, I mean, I guess we're, we're my pre, my thought that there's only a couple teams that are better. I think it's pretty telling, affirming that point that the, we had the exact same top four, three worst teams in the league. So let me let me tell you, let me give you this first. Okay, would you agree that you're pretty much just mincing, you're just splicing hairs to argue over the different factors that could delineate the way that the Rams, the Cardinals, the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Vikings. The Packers and the Bucks finish. Um, Every single one of those teams could be as uh, as bad as six and ten, as pretty pretty realistic as a wild card, and as good as the the champion of their division. Right? I I agree with I agree with some of that. Uh, I agree with almost all of what you're saying. I think I understand the premise of what you're saying. I would not. There's two of those teams that I would not put with the other teams. The Cardinals and the Rams. No. The Cardinals and the Eagles and the Bucks. Mm. I think the, the the Buccaneers have a ton of hype, and it's not it's not un I mean it's not undue. Yeah, I mean they got they got Tom Brady. 
And they also have great skill players around great. too. Great. I mean, maybe the best group of his career. I mean, one of the best. Well, I mean, he played with Brandy Moss once upon a time. Yeah, one person. You got. You got. Wes Walker. I too, said though. a group. But in any case, you know they have they have a they have a they have an up and coming defense. But let's start here. Their defense in Baltimore not nearly as good as it was in New England just last year. Tampa Bay. I mean. I'm so, the defense. Yes, yes. Tampa I'm Bay sorry. I'm sorry. The what, defense yeah, of Tampa yeah. Bay right now not nearly as good what as good as it was in New England, and. Uh, I think they're going to be good. They're certainly going to be better. I think they have a chance to be to be very good. I also am not nearly as high on Tampa Bay as I think a lot of people are. I think they're going to be a decent team. Sure. They're in a decent division with the team that I think is the best team in the NFL, by the way, with the New Orleans Saints. Sure. So I think that they have some tough sledding ahead of them, and I also I don't think – you know, everybody's been waiting for this drop off on Tom Brady, like the, for the for the bottom to fall out. That's not happening to Tom Brady. It's it is going to be, and I would argue, has already been a slow decline, and that's to his credit because he works he works harder than anybody, and I I, I it's it's the thing that I respect the most about him. And he's going to come into this season absolutely ready to go, and I think he's going to play really well uh, for a while. And I also think that there is going to be some continued drop-off in his productivity. It doesn't mean that he's not going to be good. It doesn't mean that he's going to be far superior to Jameis Winston. But I'm just saying he's not the guy that's going to be able to physically go out there and do it the way it needs to be done. So it's going to be a lot of can you do it from a mental, emotional leadership standpoint. Everything points to the fact that he can. But, you know, at some point you're just, you know, Philip Rivers can see every throw on the field and can't make some of them that he used to be able to and was an interception machine last year. Is Tom Brady going to start seeing windows that he just can't make? I don't know. I mean, I think it's going to happen at some point. Will it be now? For sure. We've never seen one of those teams I just named. If they won nine or ten games, it would not surprise you, right? Sure. Okay. Then in the AFC. But they're not as good as the other teams. I That's agree. I agree. I'm just saying we just never know how the chips are going to fall. I'm saying where they start at, they're yeah. all starting at a very similar baseline. Okay. The, the the number one factor is that with all those teams is which quarterback rises to the occasion, yeah. right? I mean, if if Aaron Rodgers reemerges as Aaron Rodgers, then the Packers are significantly better than that group. If Tom Brady still got it, they could be better than that group. Yeah. If Kirk Cousins got it, if Carson Wentz on down the line, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Jared Goff, every single one of those guys has something to prove. And so, I mean, I think that's where they're at. And that, that that's why I think that even, as much as it pains me to say it, like the Seahawks were probably would have been my, my first out after those first four that we named yeah. because of one guy, Russell yeah. Wilson. Yeah. But then would you agree with this in the AFC? The, Pat, the Patriots, mm-hmm. the Steelers, the Titans, the Bills, the Colts, the Broncos, and maybe the Chargers, depending on what happens with the quarterback situation, are all kind of in that exact same deal. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think we've eliminated all of those teams from the the race for the worst. Oh, for sure. The Raiders are not in the race for the worst. I, right? I think I don't. I think the race for the worst is definitive. I don't know who my. I don't have a fourth team out. I don't have a twenty eighth best team in the league. Give me them. Jags, Jets, Washington. I mean, who, who else would even be in the conversation? The Panthers, because I think that the Matt Rule experiment could be a disaster. And I said this on the Make It Rain podcast, Make It Rainy podcast with Sean Rainey, SWX Montana, uh, the new betting podcast that he's got going. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, the taboo of hiring a spread offense type coach 
has been dissipated quite a bit because we have so many of the best quarterbacks playing in spread systems in college. Those elements have matriculated into the NFL. Yeah. But then when the Cardinals, you know, Cliff Kingsbury was not some dominant coach in terms of win-loss record at Texas Tech. But the reason I thought it had a really good chance to work is because they went and got they knew that they were going to implement this system and then draft a dude who knows this system. And that's one of the first times that's ever happened in NFL history where you have a dude who is running a, a straight-up gimmicky system at Oklahoma and Kyler Murray, and then you hire a coach who comes from the same coaching tree and draft this dude to play in this system. Very few NFL quarterbacks have ever had a system handpicked for them like that. Now, Matt Rule is not in that situation in Carolina. He's not going to have a dude who he can just plug and play. They have Christian McCaffrey, but I just think that he didn't prove hardly anything to me at Baylor. I know he got a lot of hype because he took over oh, a horrible no, situation. No, 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 I, I, I disagree. I, I, he proved a lot at Baylor. He didn't prove anything about what he's going to be able to do at the NFL, though. I just think they could fall flat on their face and be so bad on offense because – I love Teddy Bridgewater. I loved him with the Vikings, but what the Vikings did with him was perfect. He ran a West Coast-style system. So how do you know that that ain't what's going to happen? It's a good qu- that's a good, it's a good point. All I can base it on is what Matt Rule's track record has been beforehand. But So you said the, the Washington? Washington. The, the Jets and the Jags. Yeah. I'm trying to think. <laughs> you, I, I wanted to argue against the Jags because I actually like the Jaguars' personnel on defense. Uh, I think that they have quite a few pretty good players. I mean, they got Josh Allen out of Kentucky yeah. two years ago. He was the best edge guy in the draft. They had Taven Bryan out of Florida two years ago in the draft. He's one of the best interior defensive linemen in that draft. They uh, drafted the LSU kid, the, the chase on kid, the, who was also an edge. So their D-line has a, a recent tradition of being very good, and it seems as if they've reloaded that. Miles Jack, when healthy, great player. Yeah. Joe Schobert, Led the NFL in tackles for a couple years in a row with Cleveland. Part of that was inflated stats because he's playing on bad defenses, but he's a productive dude, you know. And then you look at him on offense. I, you know, I'm here nor there on Gardner Minshew, but Tyler Eifert. I mean, he's been a walking injury, but he's a very talented guy. You know, they drafted DJ Clark. They got DD Westbrook. Like they have some dudes. I just think that I totally agree with the Jets and the Redskins full force. I'm trying to think of who else could replace the Jags in this. I just Nobody. Think, I just think the Jags are way better than those other two teams, though. Um, I don't know. I mean, first of all, we spend too much time on who's bad. But the fact True. of the matter is, is that... What about the Lions? The ceiling of Carolina is much higher than any of those three teams. Okay. I, I would agree with that. Um, what about... Okay, so the, you want to know my sneaky dark horse for being a, a bottom three team, though? And people are going to think this is egregious. Say it. Houston Texans. Oh, and, and and that has to do with the situation in the locker room just way more than the talent. A mutiny. I, I just I couldn't believe the DeAndre Hopkins DeAndre Hopkins article that was the cover story on Sports Illustrated mm-hmm. earlier this summer. I mean DeAndre Hopkins basically just said everybody in that locker room hates Bill O'Brien. I got I had Deshaun Watson go to bat for me and say this is my best friend. We have to figure out how to make you guys get along. And Bill O'Brien said, "Get out of my office. We're trading DeAndre Hopkins." That can't go well. You can't just like trade your starting quarterback's best friend and old old college teammate and and, uh, and best player and, in, on your team and maybe best wide receiver in the game. Uh, all right, Sue Tell Nuanas, one hundred two nine ESPN Radio. Boys and girls are very excited about this. The uh, second 
episode of Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, is coming out uh, later on this evening. It features Andy Larson, who was the kicker uh, for the 95 team. He was a junior on that team, kicked all four years. He was at the University of Montana. Uh, out of Helena, another Montana born and bred guy. He now works at First Security Bank uh, here in Missoula, but been around a little bit. But notably, as I think just about everybody will remember, Made the game-winning kick. 39 seconds to go. Uh, banged it through the, just through the, uh, the. now, I, how do you talk? It's the left upright as you're kicking it. It's the right upright if you're the Standing official. Right. Uh, but in any case, uh, made made the uh, field goal and gave Montana a 22-20 win, which turned out to be the final margin they held on in the last 39 seconds for the victory. So we had an opportunity to sit down with him. His episode will be coming out later, but you'll hear a little snippet from that, a couple minutes from our conversation with Andy Larson from Grizz Greats, the Silver Anniversary, next. For unquestionably committed coverage of Montana, Montana State, and Big Sky Conference athletics from a homegrown local source, you can count on Skyline Sports. The grassroots news-gathering organization is owned and operated by Coulter and Brooks Nuanas, a pair of Missoula natives and University of Montana graduates. For the best sports journalism in the state, you can choose to buy local when you choose to buy Skyline Sports. For $8 a month or $90 a year, you can get the best coverage available at SkylineSportsMT.com. Skyline Sports, every day, every season. Welcome back to Tell Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. Howdy, good to be with you. At Gus Tutel on Twitter, at 1029 ESPN, at Skyline Sports MT on Twitter as well. Go check us out. Uh, Coulter, we've been working on the Grizz Grace, silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions podcast, and we are very happy to release this evening episode two with Andy Larson, Grizz Grace, silver anniversary podcast brought to us by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications, but we'll play for them a little bit of Andy Larson's uh, uh, episode here in just a moment, but our conversation with with uh, Andy, who came in here and uh, and sat in studio with us was absolutely great, ton of fun, and uh, and what a great guy to talk to and reflect on, huh? I mean this in the best way, but in my time covering college football and being around college football teams, there's two types of kickers. There's the kicker who is very analytical, probably a quiet guy, very detail-oriented, keeps to himself, a perfectionist, almost always is going to have one of the great GPAs on the team, (laughs) and everybody's going to like him, but he's not going to be the life of the party or like the funniest dude. Then there's the other type of kicker, like Andy Larson, who is is one of the cool dudes, who is like the funny guy, the life of the party, and I think it's such a What's his GPA, Coulter? (laughs) Well, Andy's a pretty dang smart guy, so I bet you he's pretty darn good. Grad student. But... I just think it's it's funny because so I think one of the things you have so much pressure on you as a kicker because when you're about to do your job, everybody else on the team is relying on you and you alone. That's right. Offensive lineman, you got your buddies next to you. Quarterback, even if though it's so important, you still the receiver can still catch it for you. The kicker, like when Dave Dickinson gets you in the field goal range, you better make the field goal, man. Like that's what you got to make. And if you don't, you could just get crushed. But Andy talked a lot about that whole journey because he infamously missed an extra point against Delaware that cost Montana – they were on at a least run. an opportunity. It was a tie, not, it would have been a tie football yeah, game, right. and and you never know, right? But they lose that game forty nine forty eight, and a lot of people think that if that 
wouldn't have occurred, not just the next extra point, but that loss, as well as Dave Dickinson getting hurt the following season, if those two things wouldn't have occurred, Montana might have been in the mix to win three straight because that's mm-hmm. how good Dave Dickinson was and that's how good the Grizz program was at the time. There's a lot of people that would say like the 93 team was as talented as the 95 team. It's just a matter of you know moving pieces, but also belief, but also luck. There's all, all sorts of things that go into it. But I think that the fact that Andy Larson was a multi-sport athlete in high school and a guy that was well-liked on the team, it gave him the confidence to bounce back. And then the next season, he hits a bunch of huge kicks as Montana makes a run in the playoffs. He hits a game winner in the quarterfinals to send him to the semifinals for the second time in program history. And then during his junior year, a little bit of an up-and-down one, but then he smashes the game winner against Northern Arizona off and running. His 48-yarder early in the 95 game, pivotal. And the game winner, obviously, an unforgettable moment in the history of the state of Montana. Well, he spends time in the segment we've chosen for you in this portion of the of our conversation to talk about the mentality of of kicking in general and his in particular. And so uh, you'll hear from him, and uh, and we hope you enjoy it. Again, Grizz Grace Silver Anniversary Podcast out now. Episode one is already out. Episode two coming out this evening, and it is brought to us in part by First Security Bank. Hey, Larson. Commercial banker for security banking. Yes, he if you is. have any banking needs, no better guy to go to. He's friendly, he's professional, he'll help you out. But First Security Bank, an entrenched history with the University of Montana, especially in the during the career arc of Andy Larson. 1993, when the Grizz were lobbying to get a home playoff game, it was only going to be the second season they ever had that opportunity. Yep. Montana was a little bit scared. The University of Montana Athletic Department was scared of making the bid. First Security Bank President Bill Boucher got together a bunch of business owners in Montana, in Missoula, said, we'll back it. We'll back the guarantee. If you don't make the money back at the gate, we'll cover the difference. First Security Bank support, that helped them get that first home game, and that was a tipping point for then what became a run of 17 straight playoff appearances. 25 years later, First Security Bank still a proud supporter of Grizzly Athletics, as well as a proud sponsor of Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, a 25-part podcast series remembering that that epic season for Security Bank. Andy Larson of First Security Bank on Grizz Greats. I mean, sophomore year was really ugly. It was just up and down, really extreme. I think I might have been, you know, the uh, oldest player of the game one week and then the next week I can't even hit a field goal I was just a mess well what um, is that like because my only comparison is to golf where I've only yeah. been off yeah uh, notably <laughs> but like it, it is such a, in one sense all positions are like this you can have a great yeah. game as an offensive tackle you can have yeah. a bad game okay yeah. but for 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 kicking it just seems maybe it's just so obvious because it's just binary you make it or you don't yeah. And also, like, you can feel it one week and then not the next week. What What is that? I, I honestly think, it, and, you know, I think Coulter kind of alluded it to it earlier. I, I love college football. I love football. I love watching it. So it was like, what do I do with all this time in a four-hour game? Mm. You know, and this that was the first time that I really wasn't involved in just kicking, you know. Um, and so do I root like crazy and am I cheering you know or am I kind of just this subdued guy and stay focused and you know be the kind of the machine or whatever so I just really didn't I had struggled for a couple years on how to kind of just get myself mentally prepared because it I sit around you could sit around for 30 minutes and not do anything 
So to stay kind of in the game, do I just sit over on the bench and not even watch the game? I mean, that, you know, so I just really struggled with that. Um, but uh, so it, it's just, I think for me, it was just finding that, that, that way. And for the absolute, um, I mean, again, sophomore year was really rough. Northern Iowa, um, thank God the kicker bailed me out on that one. Um, he shanked a 37-yarder for the win after I'd missed, I think, two field goals and a PAT that game. Um, so that was that was that was absolutely the bottom of the barrel. And then the next week was McNeese State, and McNeese State was um, they were absolutely loaded um, coming from from the Southland, and we jumped up on them 27-7. I was having another terrible game. Missed a field goal, missed a PAT. So we're up 27-7, start of the fourth quarter. They come cruising back and um, are up either 28 or 29-27. And um, I just remember literally just saying, I want, give me one shot. I want one shot. I'll not let you down. And that's all I was thinking. I just had to, you just, I was I was absolutely pinned into the corner and it was, do I just crumble up into a ball or do I just fight myself out of that? And that's what I did. I just was pacing the sidelines, just saying, give me one more chance. I want one more chance. I don't care if it's 50 yards or 20 yards. Give me anything. I'm going to make this damn kick. And I mean, it's, it is that last, that last drive is insane. We had no business probably, you know, I think Guernsey was, you know, throwing the ball back and Shalon Banker makes a couple of great catches. Wellesie and for Don Reed to trot me out there on a 37-yarder in solid mud um, to for the game winner was, I mean, that uh, that was huge. And that was, that, was, that was the absolute, for Dave, it was the Oregon game. For me in my, in my career, it was, um, it was the, it was the McNeese State game. So, yeah. You know, it's, it's one thing to, if you've missed a couple of kicks, you just, any, any scenario to get back out there, that makes all the sense in the world. But also, every, if you kick long enough, games are going to come down to that last play, which often can be a, a kick, right? Yeah. And I'm wondering, understand, like, if you want to be clutch, you kind of, you want to be able to thrive in that moment. But like on Wednesday, are you going, man, I hope it's up to me. I hope it's a one point game. And from 42, I'm going out there. Are you like hoping that that is the way it develops? Or do you go, let's win by 40 and let's all go to snack time. So again, that first two years of college, that's what it was like. I remember my first game against South Dakota state praying, I this I don't want to kick this. <laughs> like my first, this is my first. That would have been my first attempt for field goal. It was all PATs in the South Dakota State game prior to that. And I'm like, I'm gonna have to maybe kick a game winner, and I was freaking out. Uh, and then so again, that's when it just changed. It's like I think you have to go in with just this amazing, positive, confident attitude. Um, that's why I love Hepner. I don't know if a lot of people know. I mean, that kid was just oozed confidence, and he was on the practice squad my senior year. And 
um, great, great guy, and um, but just really, uh, really kind of he's kind of a recluse kind of guy, but uh, good, good guy, great kicker. But I, I just think you have to want it. You mm-hmm. do on Wednesday. You have to say, oh, I want to kick the game winner. I mean, you have to absolutely switch it, and so you just have to take it on and be prepared to deal with it. But, yeah, I think that was, for me, that was the switch where it was like, hey, you have to be positive and focused on every kick, and you got to want want them all. you got to want them all. You mentioned you kicked the game winner against McNeese State to go to the semifinals of the playoffs in 1994. And then, I mean, that Youngstown State team was loaded. That's Jim Trestle's dynasty. I think they won three out of four. Uh, they pound you guys. And then, uh, but then you're coming into the 95 season. And then you have that game winning kick against Northern Arizona, too. Yeah. So, was that another turning point for you then? That was, that was where, like, this, this was one of the, this is where I knew everything had changed. The McNeese State, when I went to Youngstown, I was like, Hundred percent. I'm like, I'm not missing another kick, you know, as long as this season goes and whatever. I think I had a couple PATs or whatever. I don't remember, but so then the next year I was just rolling. Um, and when I went out there, I was like, this is down the middle. I got this is I, this is money. I mean, I just was like, I went out there with just crazy confidence. Knew I was going to hit it boom it was right down the middle it was so it was one of those things it was like that's what um that was the difference between sophomore and junior year so there you go andy larson the uh kicker of the 1995 national championship team who made the kick to uh win the uh the championship in that faithful game against marshall uh and a great guy to talk to again the episode grizz grace Silver Anniversary of the 1995 National Champions Episode 2 will be out this evening so you can go check that out uh, anytime you would like to and uh, if you didn't get the chance to hear Mick Holine in Episode 1 you can uh, revisit that funny uh, conversation uh, with uh, with Mick the voice of the Grizz and uh, some, some good stories uh, from Mick Holine and that Grizz Grace Silver Anniversary Podcast is brought to us in part by Blackfoot Communications back in 1995 there's a good chance when you called your friends, family and colleagues on the other side of town. You called using a phone and service from Blackfoot Communications. Well, 25 years later, Blackfoot continues to keep our homes and businesses connected with state-of-the-art voice and internet services and great work-from-home options as well. Blackfoot takes great pride in celebrating the indelible mark left by Montana's run to its first football national championship in 1995. And Blackfoot is Excited to sponsor Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions' 25-part podcast series, Reliving That Epic Campaign. Blackfoot is a proud supporter of Grizzly Athletics. Take a quick break. On the other side, NBA, fourth quarter, coming down to it in Game 2 of the Eastern Conference Semis, and Game 7 in the first round of the Western Conference Jazz Nuggets, coming up on ESPN Radio. We'll talk about both of them right after this. At Blackfoot Communications, we're experts at keeping your business technology up and running. From networks and security to communications and 24-7 support, our team works with you to understand your technology demands, then deploys the right solution for your unique needs. Whether your company is just starting out or is looking to take the next step, Blackfoot is here to help. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash business. Blackfoot, connect to more. 
NBA playoffs in absolute full swing, and it is coming down to it in the Eastern Conference semifinals game two right now. It is to tell new one is 1029 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. Good to be with all of you on this fine Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for letting us ride along with you. If you uh, missed anything in the show or, or if it was just so great you want to go round two, which seems reasonable to me, you go to the podcast. You go to the uh, search 2 tell Nuanas, or you just subscribe, and then it comes to you. It's that simple. Rate, review, subscribe. 2 tell Nuanas, the podcast available whenever you get your podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's there thanks to Blackfoot Communications. Uh, Coulter. Uh, right now, I think it's about a six-point game or a commercial break in the Eastern Conference semis, 93-87, Boston up six. If Boston wins this game, they're up two games to none. You asked me before who's in more trouble, Toronto or Milwaukee, after having lost the first game of the series. Uh, well, as of right now, Toronto is the right answer, only because they're now losing the second game of this series, at least at this very moment. Uh, it's a great question. Uh, I I still think Toronto's the right answer even before this, even if they win this game to some extent, because I think Boston's a, a really good team. I mean, I think they're one of the three contending teams in the East. I know you I think really like two of the contending teams in the East because I don't think that the Raptors are. Okay, well, and you might be right. I, here, here's the here's my take on this. Actually, is that I do think this series is probably going to come down to the wire, but I think that the Celtics are the only team in the East that has a chance to beat the Bucks. Does that yeah, make sense? Totally, it does. The Raptors could beat the Celtics now, but the Raptors don't have a chance to beat the Bucks. But you I, also I love the Heat, though, dude. I actually I had not watched the Heat that much until the bubble. I love the Heat. Yeah, I mean the world is being reminded right now of Jimmy Butler. No doubt. 40 last night was great down the stretch. Did it both directions. The defense in the fourth quarter last night. Look, we've, we've talked a lot about the, uh, you know, the improved, you know, the perception that, that this old and tired and not true about, you know, the defense that doesn't get played in the NBA is just not a, the case anymore. That said, there are teams not just that, that, that try hard or whatever, but they're just really good at it. Sure. Both Milwaukee and Miami are both of those, yep. and they went they went full throttle defensively last night, and it's rare that the defense is sort of what pops off the screen, right? Usually the offense is what pops off the screen, but both directions, both teams went so hard, so many turnovers created. You didn't feel like it was because it was bad offense. You thought you were watching great defense. I mean, that is, that's the telltale sign to me. If you think two teams are playing sloppy offense, that's one thing. If you think a team's playing great defense, that's something else. But they certainly both were, but Miami played better than Milwaukee did down the stretch, and Jimmy Butler played better than Giannis did down the stretch for his team, and so they looked great, and I'm not going to sit here and bury anybody after one game, especially not the Milwaukee Bucks, who I think are an excellent, excellent basketball team, but they you know, they got their work cut out for them, the Milwaukee Bucks do. I'm actually going to back up what I just said. I think the only team out of the two teams that you're currently watching here, the Celtics and the Raptors, that could beat the Bucks is the Celtics. I don't think the Raptors can. Yeah. I do think the Heat can. Mm. But I, do you I think, think the, they will. I don't. I don't. Okay. I don't think they're quite ready yet. But I do think from a, a man-to-man perspective, there's a several factors that I think that make the Heat actually the toughest matchup for the Bucks. One, it's the toughest matchup because the Heat are tougher. Period. Two, I think that Mike Budenholzer has a coaching advantage over most guys he's going to coach against. 
not Eric Spolstra. Mm-hmm. I thought that the Heat's game plan yesterday was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Fans will bemoan it and say it's, it's it sucks watching somebody hack Giannis and they're playing hacky shack with Giannis Antetokounmpo. He was four of twelve from the free throw line last night. Got to be better. Here's the thing. I'm just going to let my recent memory play here. When Portland beat the L.A. Lakers in Game One of that series, yep. the narrative in general, and certainly one that I shared, was the the Blazers are a huge matchup problem for the L.A. Lakers. They yep. look like they can neutralize a little bit of what AD does. Yep. They're throwing a slew of bigs at them, and they they are a really good team who are going to be a problem for the L.A. Lakers. And you know what happened? An, an adjustment or adjustments were made. Oh. And, and yes, I know it's LeBron James. That That's what happened is that the Portland is a, Portland does have a favorable matchup against the Lakers. They don't have LeBron James. That's I, why the NBA is is the way it is. You yeah. can have favorable matchups. The Mavs had a ton of favorable matchups against the Clippers. They don't have Kawhi Leonard. I, I understand. The best what you're guys saying, are that good. But what I am what I'm also saying is what looked like what matchup problems for Portland became utterly neutralized, if not shifting the exact other direction. And I think yep. that we will see the Milwaukee Bucks and sure. Budenholzer go, okay. This is how we're going to do this. Are you ready to go? And I think that they will be able to shift this series in their favor. I, I do. I do agree. The one thing, though, that history always reminds us is that the NBA is for old guys. The NBA playoffs is for old guys. Giannis Antetokounmpo, one of the three best players in the league right now. He's probably going to win his second straight MVP. He's still only twenty-five. Being ready to embrace it. I mean, think about how many times LeBron had to take his licks. And yeah, but lose. Not, they're not playing the Lakers. They're playing. No, 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 I know. I know. Okay. I'm, I'm comparing LeBron and Giannis, I though. See, think I about see. how many times LeBron had to take his licks yeah. when he was young. Yeah. He was always transcendent. So many guys have been transcendent. It's so hard to get over the top. But I still think that they'll emerge to the Eastern Conference Finals. I just love I love the spirit that he'd play with. Six, uh, four minutes to go. Boston up six. And coming up right now. On- Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now. If you visit msubookstore.org, free regalia. When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org.